More and more badass women are joining the ranks as highly skilled construction professionals. Construction and renovation projects wouldn't happen without the skills of the various crews involved. As we all know, the skilled trades have been male-dominated for like forever. In this season, I'm highlighting the amazing women doing their thing in the construction sector. Every journey and every story is different, but they are all inspiring. Have a listen as I learn about their stories. Hello, all you amazing badass humans. Today, I have the fabulous Karen Dearlove on the show. And since completing a PhD in history in 2009, she's worked in leadership positions in cultural, not-for-profit, and community organizations in Toronto and British Columbia. While pursuing her academic studies, she worked in a series of hands-on jobs, including surveying, carpentry, concrete finishing, and various positions in the fabrication of architectural-grade wood doors, such as CNC programming. An ardent supporter of the labor movement, Karen was instrumental in organizing her previous workplace and served as a shop steward for QP Local 389. She's passionate about education, social justice, reconciliation, and representation. She's excited to bring her knowledge, skills, and expertise to create, to, sorry, to create diverse, equitable workplaces and opportunities for women in the skilled trades. So I welcome you to the show today, Karen, and I'm like so grateful that you're here. I'm like, I have lots of things that I really want to get through. So thanks for coming on. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, yeah. So, you know, in this series, I've been talking to a number of women, and they all sort of know challenges in one form or another in the trade sector. And I feel like our conversation today will be of value because, like, you've been instrumental in the BCC WIT. And um, I think that's a really great body that is so supportive of women. So, um, you know, I have talked to a couple of other BC WIT people, but just for those who maybe hadn't listened to those episodes, just give us a brief history on how BCC WIT came to be and um, other women who, you know, sort of came in to make all that happen. Because, I mean, this was a really big undertaking from what I understand. Yeah, so uh, it absolutely, it was really, it took so many people's efforts over so many years to be able to create this wonderful organization. And as I mentioned, my cat is is coming in to say hi as well. Um, so in 2017, uh, the province of BC commissioned a report to examine why women only represented less than about 5% of the skilled trades in BC. And that number hadn't changed for decades, despite programs and funding and lots of initiatives. And it was a really great report because it wasn't just quantitative, it actually was really qualitative. It brought in lots of different trades women, women that are already were in the on the trade, still in the trades, but also women that had left, and really looked at what were the issues with not just recruitment, but retention and advancement. And I think that's what really made this report so instrumental, is it didn't just look at why didn't women get into the trades, why were women not staying in the trades and not finishing their apprenticeships and not staying on the tools. And so in 2018, a group of incredible tradeswomen and their supporters got together and took that report and really said, now we need to do something about this. And right. we well, need to take this. Sorry, I don't want to I did, sorry, mm-hmm. interrupt you there. But so what were some of the findings that that report had in it that were just so eye opening or? Yeah, um, there were there were several um, like there were look, they looked at some of those really entrenched 
um, societal issues as to why women did not get into the trades, looking yeah. at the fact that for a lot of young women, um, from the time they were, you know, girls growing up through high school, the trades were never really given to them as an option. Yeah. It wasn't a career path that was ever provided to them. They didn't have the same kind of experiences growing up, perhaps, that a lot of boys and young men had, where they, you know, were, were you know, were had handled tools and were able to, you know, do some work here and there or had brothers or uncles or fathers or people that they knew that were in the trades. So there just was that kind of lack of knowledge about what the trades were and how they were a career path for women. But I think actually the number one thing that the that report really brought to the attention was the issue with retention and that the working environment in a lot of the skilled trades was still predominantly 95% men. And unfortunately, was often a very toxic workplace where that really old kind of old boys locker room mentality still persisted and that there was a lot of bullying, harassment and discrimination. And that was the number one reason why a lot of women, first of all, didn't think that the trades were something for them to get into. Yeah. And for another reason why they didn't stay in the trades. So that kind of toxic workplace environment was really it became quite apparent through this report and through a lot of the stories of the women that they um, that they interviewed for the report. It really made it clear that that was the number one reason. Interesting. So obviously, BCC Wit is a, a, a relatively new body. Um, how did you how did you end up becoming the the ED for it and and like you, like explain your kind of your path to get there, um, even though. Um, to my knowledge, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you did a bunch of hands-on work, but you never went through a, a, an apprenticeship and like, that's correct. were on the tools for a, a length of time. So how did you come to like have it, yeah. for it, this, this arena? It's a very um, interesting story in the fact that uh, like I look back and it kind of seems like it was the the pathway was always there, but it was it was a strange path to begin with. Um, yeah, no, I grew up in southern Ontario, and uh, when I was young, my first job was at McDonald's <laughs> at fourteen um, in Ontario. And by the first end of the first summer, I realized I was not cut out for the service industry. And so, when a lot of my friends in high school were working at various in the mall and in different service industry jobs, I was trying to do anything but like that. And that's why I really kind of put myself out there to try a bunch of different um, hands-on work, including like landscaping and road surveying. I uh, did a couple summers where I was working as a carpenter's assistant and uh, worked in a small shop that made ornamental concrete. And I was doing this while I was pursuing academic studies because even though I really enjoyed the hands-on work, I, like a lot of young women, it just wasn't brought to me as a career path. Yeah. And I was really pushed to go to university. So I ended up pursuing graduate studies and worked for 10 and a half years of that while I was doing my graduate studies, uh, manufacturing wood doors. And what was really interesting there is that although I had worked in several smaller, um, smaller work sites where I was the only woman, that was the one where it was quite apparent how isolating that was. Uh, when I started there in my early 20s on the shop floor, I was the only woman out of 55 men working at this factory, and it was very intimidating. Um, I remember walking into the lunchroom the first day and 
the entire lunchroom was plastered with sunshine girls from the Toronto sun and bikinis and other, other uh, types of outfits. Um, I haven't thought of sunshine girls forever. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yes. Okay. I can, I can just imagine. Visualize that. Yeah. And you know, there wasn't a washroom I could use in the plant. So I had to go into the office. So it was a really challenging workplace, but I really enjoyed the work. Um, I taught myself AutoCAD because I wanted to program the CNC machines and I stuck with it, but I dealt with a lot of daily bullying and harassment. And some of it was, um, you know, really apparent. Some of it was more subtle, like the Sunshine Girls. But it was actually an experience there that really made the difference is there was an older man that was working there. And uh, he had actually his son worked there and some of his grandchildren worked there and a couple of his brothers worked there. So it was a real kind of family. And the one day he just got fed up with what other some of the other guys were saying about me and basically told them to lay off and that I didn't deserve to be talked about like that and that I was a good worker. And uh, he, he was, what we would say, he was more than a bystander. And, and that changed the trajectory of my employment there. I, I worked there until I finished my graduate studies. And to this day, I still look back very fondly on that working experience. So that was part of what brought me to this role. Um, I've always been really, uh, I really believe in education. Uh, I wanted to be an educator and work in universities. Uh, I went into public history and worked in museums and did curatorial work. And I really enjoy the whole idea of being able to educate different people through different means. Um, And then I had a uh, difficult experience at my last job at a museum where we had a change in management and they brought in a really misogynist and racist and bullying manager. Um, that was the impetus for me to unionize my workplace. And we did in July, 2020 and joined QP. And uh, then this same manager spent six months driving me out of that position because I was the instigator for the union. So that was a difficult experience. We're just going to yeah. talk for, it for just a hot yes. minute. And I just want to say that I am so sorry that that's been your experience. And in freaking 2020, like, yeah. really? Yeah, like, in, a, in a museum, like, a cultural institution in the lower mainland. Boggles yeah. the mind. like That it still happens. That it's like, you think, oh, it's getting better. And then you hear these, like, these random stories. And, and, and really, things are getting better in no matter what sector you're in. There is more and more awareness, but you still have these like dinosaurs mm-hmm. that just cannot like let go of their fear and need their patriarchy to be a cloak around them. And oh, I'm just yeah, it, it, it did. It involved the like, That's just awful. I was one of yeah, I was one of um, almost all of us were women that worked at this museum. Um, very well educated, you know, very professional. And, uh, you know, he would call us girls and ask us to get him coffee and schedule his meetings and walked around. And uh, when I hired a young man to be an intern, he walked around and would say, oh, it'll be really nice to have another man around here to his mm-hmm. all women staff. That's the kind of thing that we put up with. And then just overall, a lot of bullying, harassment. And that sucks. It, okay, yeah. So <laughs> you, you basically were chased out of that job or forced yes. out of it because you just didn't want to continue to work in that environment and yeah on you for recognizing that and moving along but sad that that had to occur but great that now you're ev for bcc wit so and it was my union rep who actually 
showed me this job. And he said, I'm not sure how this is possible, but I think that this position might just be right for you. And it, it, I've been here for a year and a half, and I have to say, I've never been in a more rewarding work environment. I've never worked with better people and for better reasons than, than with BCC Web. I love it. And amazing that you landed in such a positive place. And yeah, very cool. So you haven't been there, at, you know, a huge long time yet, but are, are, are you, are you hearing, are you seeing, are we, are we, I don't know, like, are, what's the impact been? Like, are, is there, is there marked goodness that's coming out of this galvanization of, of people and women to create this support network and all that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so difficult to gauge. Um, what I can say though, is that First of all, I think that more and more employers are recognizing that the only way that they're going to be able to deal with the labor shortage is that they have to recruit and they have to recruit people that they haven't recruited before. And they have to look at recruiting women and they have to look at re recruiting other equity deserving groups. Yeah, and then it's not just a matter of the population, right? Yeah. So, and it's not just a matter of recruiting. They're going to have to create work environments to retain those people. It's no longer that sense that an employer can just put out a job ad and get 50 qualified applicants, you have, you, especially you, in the trades. One. Yeah. That's what I, and like, so that's part of the tipping point I think we're at right now is that they're recognizing that they need to invest in their workforce and they have to create a workplace that is welcoming and inclusive and safe and healthy. And that's part of what's happening. Now, at the same time, um, I'm always very, when I talk to employers, saying, I'm glad you recognize this, but this is not something that happens overnight. This isn't oh, no. just a check mark and no. you can't just do it. Mm -hmm. um, so this is part of that change. It's going to take time and investment and has to be strategic and deliberate. But it's it's that's where I see it. we're starting to get to a bit of a tipping point where that is being recognized as that's the only way we can go forward and be able to continue to do business. Well, I think too, though, like, um, just even backing up before you even get to being employed uh, from the standpoint of uh, our high school system, our junior high school system, uh, even parent mindsets around like what you're talking about, you know, blue collar work versus, you know, university education. Like there's been this huge rift in there and it, it's, it is slightly changing, but I know like I was pushed to go to university. I never did. I went into trades. Um so we need to get around that mindset that, you know, like if you, it's like a place where you land or the trades are the place where you land, if you can't cut it somewhere else, that's, that, that is not the case at all. We need to shift that mindset right from, you know, little, little, little wee people playing with like tools and dolls and cooking and, you know, being asked to mow the lawn and like, like everybody doing all of the roles so that it's normalized that everybody can do all of those things. And then when you do finally get into the place where you're going to consider the trades, well, we need to be able to support mm -hmm. people who are going through their apprenticeships and like open up more spaces for them to be able to do that because there's only so many people you can put through in a class of 16 and how many classes are there and how many, you know, uh, institutions are there that are, are helping with that. Like it takes a long time to get somebody to the point where they're a, a journey person who has enough experience behind them, not just having gone through their you know, four years of apprenticeship and being able to write a test to say that they're qualified now, but to actually have that 
that knowledge base, that experience base behind them to be able to lead from that point forward. Like we're talking like a 10 year period from today mm-hmm. onward. Like we're already way behind the eight ball here, right? Oh, like Absolutely. And, and you're right. It, 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 there are so many different areas that you need to be able to hit. There are so many different um, kind of um, points on that road that you need to be able to yeah, invest in. Look at the spokes of a wheel. They all need to kind of come together yeah. to create this perfect storm environment to allow all of this to flourish, right? And it, it takes a whole bunch of things. I mean, oh, yes. And, and and then it's also you have to be able to, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's an investment. It's a long-term investment. And you also have to recognize that different people have different obstacles and barriers yeah. that they need to have removed and they need help to overcome to get there. So what it takes for one person to be able to start that pathway and get into the trades is not the same for another person. And so there's also that sense that you need to have a very individualized approach. We need to have organizations like BCC with, which are there to provide those supports and to, and it's not just necessarily even financial supports. A lot of what we find is there are supports that are required and it's a lot of it is to deal with things like isolation. Um, Just the fact that you're not, you don't have role models and mentors and people that represent you that you can look up to and that you can see. And so it's building all of that network as well of supports also in, and also in building awareness and advocacy and actual financial and wraparound supports for, for individuals to, to make that move and to get into those pathways. Yeah, of course. So yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, such a, it's, it's not just, um, yeah, it's not one easy answer. That's for sure. Yeah, and but you know, really, nothing worth doing is ever that easy. Right. You know? like all of this time and thought, investment. You know, all of this driving, hopefully, for a solution to for the the trade sector in general, but also allowing you know this idea of going to the, a safe workplace. Like we shouldn't even be talking about this anymore. Like we really shouldn't. Which gets me in, like, this is a beautiful segue because I really want to have you tell me more about this Don't Be a Bystander program. Because, yes, I am so, yeah, I am so proud of this program. I will talk about it forever. Um, So, (laughs) it it really is about creating safe, healthy, respectful, and inclusive workplaces for everyone. So, it's a program that really addresses that retention piece. How do you create safe, healthy workplaces that are free from bullying, harassment, and discrimination, and that are welcoming and inclusive for everybody. And this program was actually started in 2011 by uh, Ending Violence Association of BC, and they partnered with the CFL team, the BC Lions, to start this program. And the root of the program is it's based upon making, it's based upon gender-based bullying, harassment, discrimination. But instead of having the victims of the bullying and harassment have to carry the weight. It's about making men who are 95% of these workplaces responsible for creating those work environments, giving them the tools and the resources so that they understand what are the issues around bullying, harassment, and discrimination, and how to intervene and shut those things down. It also recognizes that it's not all men that are the issue, but it's the handful that are and it's the rest who stay silent and do nothing and don't stop those jokes or don't stop the hazing and don't stop the bullying. 
they're the ones that allow it to happen. And that creates that toxic workplace environment. And so it's really about giving men tools and resources so that they can intervene and stop that behavior when it's kind of at the lowest level, when it is jokes and sunshine girls and graffiti, when it's at that level so that it doesn't escalate to anything worse. And it's really about creating everyone taking responsibility for that work environment. And uh, so BCC WIT partnered with the BC Lions and Ending Violence Association of BC in 2018 to adopt a program specifically for skilled trade workplaces. So we actually integrate video scenarios and content that we receive from tradeswomen and some of their experiences and to really provide those kind of hands-on tools and resources to address workplace bullying, harassment, and discrimination. Yeah, I mean, I think um, if you don't stand up and, and say that something's wrong, you're complicit. Yes. But sometimes um, if you don't have the language or you don't have an example of how to de-escalate something, because all of us, for the most part, we don't like conflict. Correct. We, we don't want to have be someone who's confrontational for the most part. Like there's still a handful of people that thrive on that for whatever like twisted reason. But, you know, most of us don't want that. So it's like, how do you approach that situation and how do you how do you language it and how do you not get yourself in the middle of something that now you're the target? And I Correct. can see how there's like all of these little things that, OK, I don't know what I'm doing here. So I, I don't feel empowered to be able to do anything. So I think this is why this don't be a bystander program is going to be like just so yeah. powerful. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what it is because what we we talk to a lot of the men who take the program, and they have one of two reactions: either don't do anything, or they're going to go full in and like punch somebody in the face. Like they, <laughs> there's a thousand different things you can do in between those two. Yeah, and so that's really what we're trying to say is that there are so many different things, and what you might choose to do what how to react might not be the same as somebody else but we're going to give you lots of different options we're going to give you lots of different ways that you can intervene in situations some of it it doesn't even mean to need to be vocalized it doesn't even need to be verbal and it's really looking at how can you make a difference and shut down that behavior it could be just not taking part in a joke leaving the room it could be just creating a distraction to stop what's happening it could be just standing beside the person that's being targeted and providing your space providing yourself there for them as a support so it's there's so many different and that's really what it's about and we run through scenarios that really kind of give people an idea okay what would you do what can you do and then look at how it plays out and but I think actually what makes this program even more have more of an impact it's really about taking away the blinders for a lot of men and I talk about this as a, as a historian, is that we live in a world that was built by men, by certain men, for certain men to keep them in power. Yep. And if you are one of those people, you just don't even see that. You do not see that. You live in this world and it's there and it was built for you. Yep. And so you do not, you're living with these blinders on. And what it, we're trying to do is say, you have to try to understand what it's like for somebody else. What it's like for a woman. What it's like for an Indigenous person what it's like for a member of the queer community or a person of color or a newcomer to Canada. What is it like for them to try to navigate this world, which was not built for them and all the obstacles and barriers that they have to 
overcome to just be able to have the same as anybody else. And so that's part of what we really try to do. And another thing that we do in this training is really to break down masculinity and talk about why it's the how it's been created and also why it's not a good thing either and how it also harms men yeah and how this whole system that we have that has been built is not really helpful for anybody and that's why we need to be able to like take off those blinders recognize your position and your privilege but also recognize then how you can be an ally and an advocate and how you can be part of that change and how you can create healthier places for everybody. So what, what are a, a couple of the little nuggets of say de-escalation that, that go on in the program? And then um, maybe a couple more things around, um, you know, allyship and recognizing privilege and all that kind of stuff. Maybe just give us a yeah. little, little things about a what little, a couple of those. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because as we have these couple of these scenario videos and I've actually done training with women around these as well as men. So they come up with completely different ways that they would approach these situations. For instance, there's one scenario where there's two men that work together and the one man comes in and says, hey, I was out with one of their colleagues last night. And he goes, hey, take a look at this picture on his phone. And it's obviously a picture of this woman that he took without her consent. And that's a scenario. And we ask, what would you do in that situation? And, you know, part of what you could say is that I don't want to see that. I didn't have, you didn't ask me to see that. Uh, I, you need to tell her that. Did you, does she know you have that picture? Do you know that she gave, did she give you permission to share it? You know, that, and, and so there's all these different ways you can say. And then we look at the end of the video and in that scenario, it's actually basically, yeah, it's not right. She did not give you permission and you need to delete this. You can't share inappropriate images of people without their consent. But that was actually a really strong one because we talk a lot about, especially with younger people, when we talk about digital um, yeah. and harassment yeah. and what that means. And uh, we get into a little bit of the legal legality of it as well. And, and But it's just an example that we do. Another one is we call it after work where there's a bunch of colleagues after work at a bar. And one of the men is hitting on a woman colleague that obviously is not interested in him at all and won't take no for an answer. And we Say, if you were there, what would you do? And it's interesting because when I speak to women, they are, they say they, they would like someone to actually tell him at the table that it's inappropriate and to leave her alone. But all the men are a bit more, they're over like, well, I would take him outside and just tell him, you know, quietly that it's inappropriate and that, you know, he's uncomfortable and, you know, we all have to work together. So you shouldn't be doing that. So it's just kind of like a little nuances, but they're all ways you can do things. And it's all these different scenarios where you can find out what, what would you do? What can you do? And there's not one right answer. There's usually about a hundred different ways that you could deal with this situation. But the biggest point we make is doing something. Yeah, something. Just I, something. Yeah, I'll just share a very small snippet of something that sort of occurred for me. And it wasn't even that long ago. I was at an event and I stood up to, um, you know, sort of say my name and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And there was some comment around stand over there because we want to basically see back of you and this is a professional group of people i was gobsmacked Mm -hmm. and not one person in the room said anything and i was gonna say something i already had in my mind what i was gonna say so i 
I this comment happened and I basically backed up so that now my back is to the wall almost. And I basically was like, you know, I wasn't going to go here, but you know, we were just talking about like anti-hate and da, 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 da. I said, this falls into that bucket mm -hmm. in essence. Right. And went on to talk about how, you know, what a struggle it is for women in trades and blah, blah, blah. I wasn't even in a, in a, a trade related meeting. It was like other things. I was just commenting on my own personal thing. And, and I just still found in this day and age in, in a so-called professional mm -hmm. arena, not even a trade arena that this still happened and still nobody said anything. Yeah. So it's yeah. not just the trades. It does happen elsewhere, even in a professional networking environment. That's not even a, an employer employee company relationship or anything like that. It just, it ha it's, it happens everywhere. So that's why I'm saying like, if you don't say anything, you're complicit. Yes. Well, and, and I 100% agree. Like for, I used to say it was my dream and now I think it's my goal is that I like this type of training to just be part of workplace training period, just yeah. part of occupational health and safety training in any workplace, any training institution. And it should be in schools and it just should be normalized. It's basically, it's it's about creating, like treating people with respect and dignity. And it's, I find it very frustrating sometimes because a lot of, we'll be working with some of the men in this training and some of them have been in the trades for a long time. And they'll be like, well, you know, when I was an apprentice, I got harassed a lot. I got bullied a lot. You know, that was just what you had to do. You had to just put up with it to prove it. And I turn around to say to them, and I'm like, uh, first thing I say is, I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. That was not right then. It's not right now. But it's also not right. But why why perpetuate something that exactly. you experienced that you knew didn't feel good, that you knew wasn't right, and now you're doing it, what, just because it happened to you? Like, exactly. We want to make our lives better. Not We like want to. And when I speak to a lot of the women in the trades, a lot of tradeswomen, they say the exact opposite. They say, I don't want anyone else to have to go through what I went through. Yeah. I want to be, make it a better place for everybody. I want everybody to be able to have opportunities and not have to put up with what I had to put up with. And, and I say that to a lot of women. I hear them say things like, you know, I've told I had to have you know, thick skin. I had to have thick skin to do the job. And my response always is to show me in that job description where it says that you need to have thick skin to go to work. Yeah. I think you need to you need to be knowledgeable. You need to be skilled. You need to be competent. You need to be qualified. But nowhere does it say you need to have thick skin or you need to be brave to do your job. And that's the issue is that that's not what it is. That's not what we're doing here. We should be able to do our jobs. We should be able to go to work. Everybody, women, men, both color, members of the queer community, indigenous people, everybody, doesn't matter. You should all be treated with respect and dignity and you should all be given the same opportunities to do your job. And none of those things should be part of a workplace. Yeah. I, it's, it, it, it seems really, like when you say like it like brainer. that, it seems yeah brainer. like a no-brainer. But at the same time, you actually have to say it like that. You have to say, these, this just has no, that's just not part of a workplace. That's not in the job description. This is not what we're supposed to be doing here. It has no place. And you have to say it. It's just not part of the workplace. Yeah. I mean, I, there's been a... I, when I was on the tools in a shop, I've been running my own thing for like a long, long time now. But there, there were a few times where early days, I didn't know what to say, how to say it, 
you know, how, how to stand up for myself. I mean, I was like, whatever, 20. Um, but as time rolled along, I just sort I would sort of turn it around and go, if I was your sister or your girlfriend, would you be saying that to me? Right. Like, how would you feel if you were witnessing this and it was somebody that you loved? Right. Well, I say that to a lot of the men too, that have been, excuse me, in a workplace for a long time. I'm like, would you like your daughter working with you? Would you want her to work here? And if you wouldn't, why not? What's wrong with this workplace? Yeah. You say you have love your job, but if you wouldn't want your daughter to work in the same place, then you've got a real problem there. And you need to figure out what that problem is. Yeah. And that's that's what it comes down to. It's like you say, Oh yeah, I know it's great. I like working where I work, but you wouldn't want your daughter to work there, then there's definitely an issue with the workplace. Yeah. And it's just it's just that sense of you just need to treat people well. <laughs> I I had a I was doing some training with some women up at uh up in Fort St. John at the Site C mm-hmm. uh, project. And that was an interesting experience staying up in the camp there for three days. I bet. And uh, I was having, you know, in between training, I was just um, in the only one place that you could actually have a drink on camp, on in the camp. And I was talking to an older man who was a heavy equipment operator. And he, you know, he asked me what I was doing there and I explained what I was doing there and that I was doing training with the women about bullying and harassment. And he's like, oh, no, I've worked with women before, you know, you know, we treat them the same. And I turned around to him and I said, did you treat them well? Or did you treat anybody well? Because that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. It's not about treating people the same. Oh, you know, I got bullied and harassed. So, you know, it's okay to bully and harass other people. It's about treating people well and creating workplaces that everyone can bring their best to. that They can be, be able to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's. One of the things I hope we understand from two years of a pandemic is that mental health is health. Oh, hell yeah. And that, you know, there is a serious mental health issues with people that bullying harassment. And it's not, it doesn't work for employers. It doesn't work for unions. If you can't keep people, if they have to take leave, if they um, have to take sick leave, if they quit and there's turnover and you have retention issues, or worse yet, people get hurt. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not just an issue of, oh, we need to treat people well in our workplace, but you need to keep people safe in your workplace as well. Yeah. And I think that's why, again, I, I think it's really about occupational health and safety. And it's not just about policies and procedures, but it needs to be ingrained in training from day one for yeah. everybody. So I'm, I'm curious to know um, a couple of things. One, how many of don't be a bystander um, sessions have there been run and then subsequent to that what kind of feedback or maybe you don't know that information but what kind of feedback are you getting from the from the participants in it or maybe the the companies that, that really should be there with their their management and like their foreman and whatever are are, are they having like any aha moments are they noticing like that companies are changing some of their um the the policies procedures and 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 having like zero tolerance for things like are are we kind of seeing that there's been some feedback that has been positive in that way yeah uh, so i'll start with a we've run 20 cohorts of what we call the train a trainer so this is a 3 day program that uh is aimed at uh training like trades training instructors um as you said like managers and supervisors and four people and so kind of 
men that have are in a kind of a position of leadership in mm-hmm. their workplace or training institution or union, shop stewards and things like that, and business managers. And so we've run 20 cohorts of the three-day train the trainer. And so that's about 230 men that we might have trained up at this point. And we call them our spokespeople. And then they're able to go out and take that training back to their school or workplace or union and provide it, um, provide that training there. So I don't have the number in terms of overall how many people they have been able to train. Right. But again, it's been we've been running this program um, really for about three years now. And it's that ripple effect. So, yes, it is getting out there. Um, I know for some of the examples, some of the unions and some of our strong supporters that are sending lots of people to the training, it is making a difference. Um, like, for instance, the I, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers is a huge supporter of BCC WIT. Um, they have sent many, many, many people from their union to our training. Um, but they also now have one of the highest proportion of women in their union yeah. in the skilled trades and uh, as electricians. So there are some positive impacts. Um, you know, there are there's so much work to do though. (laughs) There's so many, especially large employers that we really want to be able to work with, especially the ones that tend to work in the more um, remote Northern communities, because you've got more issues there in terms of isolation. It's not just, it it can be upwards of 98, 90%, 99% men working in some of those places. And there have been issues. So we're really trying to find time to be able to work with a lot of the large resource uh, employers up north. Yeah. So, you know, I, we're not going to, we're not going to be out of work anytime soon. There's <laughs> lots of work to be done, but I do think like it's slow, it's incremental um, from the people that have taken the training from the spokespeople. Every single one that I've seen go through the training, it's changed them. Um, it's, as I said, it's like you, you take off the blinders, you can't unsee things now. You yeah. can't unhear things. I just, I just got goosebumps all up my arm. Like, you yeah, they, they say like it, it does. It changes them. They, they like they now, you know, they go back and they talk to their spouse or their daughter or other people in their lives. And they ask them about their experiences. And they're initially shocked to hear that they've had some terrible experiences, that they've been bullied or harassed or discrimination or worse. And now they just can't stop, see it like they can't unsee it. And I've heard from several, too, where they're like. It's not just intervening when they're at work. Now, when they're out in public, when they're at a store, when they see something, they like they just can't they can't not do something. Yeah, they feel so compelled to be that ally and that advocate and to stand up and to do something. They feel that they because of their privilege and their positionality that that's that's what they can offer and that's what they can do and that's kind of their role. Like they they really do take that on. Like I call them champions because that's really what they are. And I've been at many events where I've been talking about this and it just happens that I will ha- there will be some people that have been trained and it's like, I don't even have to sell it. They just stand up and they'll talk about it and they'll <laughs> sell it. And I'm always like, wow, that's great. Cause I, I don't have to do any of the work anymore because that's what they do. And so it's, it, and it's, it's a unique program and it really, it changes people. Yeah. So for it, for someone who might be listening, whether it's a woman in trades or a dude or a parent or whoever, and they're like, how do I get my hands on this program or like engage to 
to bring this to their organization or whatever. So what's the, what would be the, the best way for them to? Oh yeah, easily. Just uh, so our info at bccwit.ca is the email address that we can just send any inquiries to. And the bystander program and someone else. Yeah. And everything. And just, and we have, excellent staff that will answer any questions. Um, and so that we also can do a couple different things. Like if you've kind of, as a as an applicant, you could apply to be part of the three-day train the trainer. And it's kind of whether you fit that again, um, where we're trying to, people that we're trying to target with that program and that you've got some in a position of leadership, et cetera. And we can see whether we can fit you into any of the cohorts we're running. But we also do um, match our trained spokespeople up with opportunities to give presentations. Right. So if you were an employer and maybe you don't have people to send to the three-day training, but you would like to have a presentation for your workforce or your union or your class, we can help facilitate that as well. Nice. And we're also looking at doing a couple things with the program. Uh, we're expanding the program to be ex- more explicit about um, things like racism, colonization, transphobia and homophobia although you know I like to say that if you make workplaces safe healthy respectful and inclusive for women you make it better for everyone but we're going to be looking at how to address those things more explicitly as well yeah and also looking at how to create more products so that you know it's not just a three-day train the trainer or the presentation but I would really like to have kind of a suite of products so that we can leave things with employers that can be integrated into toolbox talks and that can be used for training on an ongoing basis, as opposed to, again, a one-time checkmark kind of thing. Yeah. And so finding more ways to be able to um, increase the scope as well as keep it going in a workplace so that it becomes a regular, kind of more of a regular type of training. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. I love it. Well. Um, This is, I, my mind is a little bit blown. I, I would love to actually take the Don't Be a Bystander program. I um, will actually search it out and do it. I, I think I, I think I was registered at one point, but I had to decline. Um, but I would love to, to take it and also like be able to spread the word more about it. So I think that's really why I, I want to take it because um, I, I love the idea of being able to have those those tools and those strategies that I can then share with um, mm-hmm. and the like other women in my life or like all the sub trades that I employ in my business um, right. to be able to you know share and educate them I think it would be just a, a really impactful and powerful thing so I'm yeah, I'm really excited about being able to take it. So I'm, I'm going to we'll be in touch. That we'll, I'm going we'll to be, I'm gonna be one of the ones that's going to be taking it soon. Yeah, I can see that. yeah um, and, and and actually that does bring up one more thing. So the training has been more targeted towards men at this point because it's about yep. um, gender based and it's about making men allies. But that is what we are also addressing: is how to train women to also be able to also have the tools and resources for themselves but also to be able to be supports for other women. So we've done some of that training. That's one of the things I was doing when I was up at Site C, was training the women up there. So we are going to be expanding and offering more of that in the future as well. So that's part of the, again, increasing that scope. And and it's 
it's about tools. It's really about tools and resources and giving people the confidence that they they can do things, that they can do something. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. Well, um, you know, I, I always like to ask at the end of our time together um, a couple of things, and it you can tell me that the first one is, you know, I know that you dabbled around in a few different uh, trades. So what out of, out of those or what other ones would you have wanted to try? Um, like, or even now, like, what would you want to, you know, maybe learn a little more about or, or would love to be skilled in? Um, actually welding. My, um, my stepfather taught me to do some MIG welding and I really enjoyed it. And I think if I was going to be able to get into something and like really get proficient at it, that would be one of the things I would like to be more proficient at. Cause I, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a woodworker, but the welding has always been kind of something like, yeah. oh, you know, cause it's exactly you can be so creative with it. And, uh, anyway. and uh, there's something about, there's something about metal and fire and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an intriguing, <laughs> um, but yes, that would be definitely one thing that I would like to get more into. And then because you do have some tool background, mm-hmm. what what is or what was your favorite tool to use? Oh, what is or what was my favorite tool to use? Oh gosh, I wasn't I wasn't quite prepared for that. Um see now you've got me stumped here a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I actually really enjoyed um no, I have to say it's 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 a really simple one. I like cutting wood. I like just a good old circular saw. And I got was really, really excited the first time I got to use one with like a laser. So that was really one of those things. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I know, right? Well, every time. There's there's really no right answer here. Everybody no, it's to- just it's fun, you know, just just yeah. if that's a nice, it's a very satisfying. And I think part of it is too is that my dad used to have an old table saw in his basement. Mm. And it was actually his father's table saw. So oh, this wow. table saw was I don't know, probably from the 1940s. Wow. And so that was like one of my earliest memories too, is being able like when I was really excited when my dad finally let me start to be able to use the table yeah. saw with his help. But that was like that course, was like yes. that <laughs> defining childhood moment is where I got to cut a piece of wood by myself. Yeah, of course. So okay. thanks again for having her yeah. for joining me on the show. Yes. And and honestly, I just Thank you for all of the work that you're doing to advocate for women and those who are self-identifying as female. And of course, all of the other people who would be benefiting from Don't Be the Bystander program. And um, yeah, just, I'm just, I love that you, that you landed at BCC WIT and that you're in this program and it just seems like it's a perfect, perfect fit for you. And um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing all about it today. And thank you. And as I said, I've, I've never felt, uh, I've never felt such an incredible connection to the work that I get to do and the people I get to work with and work for and see the impact it has on a daily basis. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's hard work. It's, there's lots to do, but it's really good work. And that's like, it's the perfect alchemy of all of those things that keep us passionate and keep us in like involved and, interested and and engaged and I, that's just that's the epitome of what you want for your for your career for your job right is to have exactly. all those things come together no I feel very fortunate that I landed here oh beautiful all right and for those listening thanks I appreciate it
and be sure to check out our other episodes in this and other all things renovation series. And until next time, keeping badass at whatever trade you're in. Thanks for listening. And I hope you feel as inspired as I do. If you or someone you know has interest in the trades, there are many resources, many programs and supports. There's also a ton of women's groups out there specifically for those who are in the trades. We'll list a number of them in the show notes, but be sure to reach out if you're having challenges finding some in your area. We're all in this together after all, and we're happy to help in any way we can.